I mean, look, even Nicholas just said like a hundred times, Tiger's the best that I've ever seen. Would you all just leave me alone? <laughs> Stop trying to Let me up. suffer. Like, I just want to be miserable. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. We are the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite big players, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Oneput. All right, we are back after a couple weeks of rest after our annual BPO golf trip. We got to talk about the PGA Championship from this past weekend. Brooks Kepka getting his fifth major. More than Rory, more than Jordan, more than JT, more than Scotty, more than Rom. Brooks is really cementing himself as the best major player of this generation. We'll talk about what a realistic goal is for Brooks's total majors for his career. We'll talk about the Cinderella story that was Mike Block, the PGA professional that got a top 15 in this year's PGA. We'll talk about other players in the leaderboard, what this win means for Live Golf, and other things about Oak Hill in this year's PGA. And then to round out this episode, we'll turn back the clocks a couple weeks. We'll talk about our annual golf trip, which we are finally fully recovered from. We went to Atlantic City. We played some amazing courses. We got to see some of the casinos. We had a wonderful trip with all of our boys, 16 guys. We'll have Tully go through some of his updated rankings. We'll talk about some of the best 19th holes and bars we went to and all of the antics from that trip. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. We got a big match this weekend coming up with Ben and Tully against Colin and Dub. We'll be posting more about that there. And if you haven't yet, check out our Facebook page, the Big Players Only Podcast Facebook page. We hope you all enjoy the episode. All right, we are back, and we are here to do a little recap on the PGA Championship. A good weekend of golf, lots of really big names on the leaderboard. We'll just run down this top ten real quick. Brooks Kepka, Victor Hovland, Scotty Scheffler, T2, Bryson, Kurt Kitayama, Cam Davis, T4, Ken's guy, Sepp Straka, Rory McIlroy, T7, and they got Rose, Cantlay, and Cam Smith rounding out the top ten in T9. That's a pretty amazing leaderboard. We'll get to a few more of these guys, but I really want to start with Brooks, right? This guy's really turned into a major killer. He talked about not making the same mistakes that he made at Augusta. I didn't personally think he played very poorly at Augusta. Kind of John Rahm went out and won it, but Brooks looked a little bit like he was out there just trying to hold on to a lead and not try and win it, and I think he kind of alluded to that. But what were you guys' thoughts on Brooks this week? I think it was, you know, the biggest statement. Like, obviously, he played well at Augusta, and that's kind of like a it was a one off almost. But I think now we can firmly say that the sad, pathetic Brooks we saw in full swing that just like was lost and you know just hated himself is completely gone. Like, he's now guaranteed to be in the majors for the next what five, ten years at this point. So we're going to see him in the events that he cares about, barring another injury that sets him back. I think it's safe to say he's probably going to win two to four more majors. I think that's a good question. Where do we set the bar now for Brooks? So he's at, what, five? Five. Like, is it is he a double-digit guy? I, I mean, you I, have to put him in that conversation, right? I think Tom Watt, Tom Watson's at eight yeah, or something like that. That's a good target. I think 
that's eight. Eight seems about right to me. The way he's playing, I I don't know. It just seems like he wins on these golf courses that are like ridiculously tough for the rest of the field. Like you think of his wins. Aaron Hill was the first time he was there. I remember like how everyone was complaining about how thick the rough was and the fescue was there. Beth Page Black, uh, Shinnecock. Like these are some of the hardest major courses that we've seen the field go to in a very long time. And Brooks has won all of those. Three in New York also is extremely impressive. But like with that being said, you got to assume they're going to keep putting them in those places given like how you know, they're trying to like make it harder, make it not as much of like the you know, bomb and gouge or whatever here and all that kind of stuff. They're going to continue going to courses that are, you know, the fairways are tighter, the rough's thicker, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like that's got to then theoretically play well for him to win a lot. Like how does his game suit the, the open? Right, because he, like you just said, he plays these harder courses really well. It, you know, he hasn't won an Open. I, I see he's got a couple top five, top ten finishes there. I, I'm just curious. Like, obviously, he's got to be the favorite for LACC right now. I mean, I know everyone wants to say Max, but he still hasn't shown up in a major. I think Brooks has got to be the early favorite for the U.S. Open, along with Rom and Scotty. But, you know, how, how does this game fare for the Open later on in the year? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think LACC is as much of a, of a bomb and gouge as it is more of a tactician's course. Yeah. So I don't know if I see Brooks like as a clear favorite, but you know, you can't deny the guy just really knows how to grind it out. I mean, he has some of the most dominant Sunday performances at, at majors that, that we've seen in the past 10 years. He just goes out there, he hits that high cut. It's like he's not going to miss it. If he does miss it, he's it's not going to miss by much. And his, I was really impressed with his weight of the weight of his putts on yeah. on Sunday. It was like, Nothing was blowing by the hole. Nothing was like way short of the hole. Everything was just dying right at the hole, whether he had the right line or not. Uh, it was just like perfect speed every time. And, you know, that makes the hole bigger, right? So, like, you see a lot more long putts go in. So I'm here to then pass on the crown of, of lag putting champion from Rory to Brooks. So we can stop <laughs> talking about Rory's lag putting <laughs> but, and we but, can make it but Brooks. But Brooks won the, cha- won the can, major. Can, bro- just saying, Brooks is the best <laughs> lag putter. Let's stop talking about Rory's lag putting. What I found interesting when he was talking about kind of what he figured out or what he learned from the Masters was he really slowed it down on Sunday. So the Masters infamously played super slow. Him and Rom, what, Rom went to the bathroom 14 times on the tee boxes, like, and they were waiting every shot. I think he was talking about how this Sunday he intentionally walked slower, took his time more, so that they weren't in those situations where he was waiting. Because that's another thing, going back to the the Kiowa PGA and how Phil really messed him up by playing so slow it took him off his game. And I think he finally kind of learned, like, okay, when I'm on Sunday in these pressure cooker situations, I got to just slow it down and not kind of be out here rushing and end up waiting. I'll never forget, like, my freshman year in college, how slow college golf was and how it took me a long time to adjust to that. I don't know. I guess I've probably – somehow I've said I'm a slow player, but I'm realistically not a slow Diligent. player. I'm an extremely <laughs> fast player. So when I when I first played my first, like, five, five-and-a-half-hour round, I it, it blew my mind. I shot, yeah, in the mid-'80s because I just couldn't – I needed to get on with it. So I agree. Brooks takes it. He really understands, like, got to take a little bit more time between shots and uh, – there's just something about Brooks' game. Like, even when he hit bad shots this week, and especially this weekend, you kind of thought, like, doubles in play, right? He hits it in the shit on, like, number six or whatever. Has to take the drop 200 and some yards out around a tree to a green with water on the left. Just puts it on the green to 30 feet and takes his medicine and bogey. And there was just no chance to catch Brooks this week. Vic actually played a really solid round of golf other than his little mishap on 16 in that bunker. But... Vic was a was a good pursuer this weekend, and his game looked great. His putting was good. His short game was good. You can tell Vic's really been working on his game. But 
I'm not sure how you chase down Brooks unless you really have that firepower to go out and shoot 64. The the putt on what was it 13 that par five where he like trickled it down the hill and just had the perfect line and made it for par. I think it was like 10 footer or something. And Vic had just made birdie. That was huge because if he doesn't make that, it's tied going into the 14th hole, which. I mean, he ended up playing better that last stretch of holes, but like at the moment, the momentum to just like drain that putt and just move on with a one shot lead still was huge for him. Yeah, as much as the leaderboard, like it, it felt like it got tight. There, there was party that never really thought Vic was gonna overtake it. Like it, you know, he Brooks jumps out real hot, goes three under through four holes, and you feel like it's done. And yeah, he comes back a little bit, but we've seen Vic kind of like not be able to get it done in major so many times versus we've seen Brooks do the exact opposite. It just, it, as much as you're sitting there rooting for it, it was exciting to watch it. Then it kind of felt inevitable, like looking back on it. And I got to give Vic a lot of props. Like I think Vic is trending in the right direction here. I think he was a good pursuer this weekend, but you're right. I don't know how you're supposed to catch Brooks, but let's talk a little bit about Vic. Kenny's not here. That's one of Ken's favorite golfers. I'll actually, I actually listened to uh, to Vic's metal playlist the other day at the gym, and that thing is fire, by the way. Man, I was I was getting a good old pump on. Is it in English or Norwegian? No, it's mostly English, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can really understand the lyrics, but it sounds like English. I mean, I think that Vic's worked really hard on the parts of his game that we thought were just major liabilities, right? His putting, not always that great. His short game, not always that great. His sand game this week, which has also been a liability in the past, looked awesome. I mean, I'm talking top 10 in the field from the sand for a guy that's usually losing a stroke and a half when he's in the bunkers most rounds. His putting looked great. I think that Vic has the kind of game to win major championships. He has that game where he's hitting a lot of fairways. He's hitting a lot of greens. He makes a few putts, and his short game is starting to trend in the right direction. What are you guys' thoughts on Vic this weekend? Yeah, I think it's his first tournament in a while. He's actually gained strokes and, and looked competent in the short game, which is what you need for a major and, and, and probably a big reason why he kind of stuck around. But I think we saw a different Vic Hovland on Sunday. I think, you know, you look back at the last few majors, he's had top tens, he's been right in the mix, but kind of faded down the stretch. I think he really made a statement and, and kind of like, okay, he overcame some demons on Sunday, hit the ball well. I think his driver let him down quite a bit. But other than that, like, he kind of is is entering an, another level where you expect him now to be able to compete on Sundays in these majors that he keeps putting himself in contention in. And I think he lost like a stroke and a half off the tee on Sunday, but it was because of two tee balls. He actually hit, you know, 15, 14 other great tee balls. It just wasn't, it was just a couple drives. But uh, Vic and Brooks, I think, more importantly, what I've noticed about their games and why I think they've been so successful in the majors is, they just play this like drip fade, right? So it's like the ball either stays straight or fades. They've really cut the course down to one side misses. And you don't see that from some of the other guys like Scotty this week, even though he kind of had a valiant Sunday effort. And Rory, same thing, left and right. You know, you're not really sure where you're going to miss it. Brooks and Vic both cut off the left side of the course pretty much all week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Vic is arguably one of the most likable guys on tour but i just i don't know if he's ever going to get it done in a major at this point at least not you know in these the guys already can't win on in like a regular pga tour event like in the u.s with like a full field he still hasn't managed to do that i think his best chance is going to be somewhere where it's not something that a lot of these guys are seeing so it's going to be in a open championship rather than you know say at lacc even though he has the great iron play he's showing the sand game and stuff like that I just don't see him getting a green jacket anytime soon or any of these other trophies. I think Augusta is the place actually that fits his game perfectly. It's just the tight lies around the green that are still 
He's a little yippy, and I mean, you can work on that as much as you want, but when you're 20 yards out to a plateaued green off a tight lie, it's always going to be tough. Um, but, I'll give him some pointers. But but Vic is only 25. That's the other thing. You know, Brooks, Rory, Scotty, these guys are all 30-plus, right? So Vic still has quite a few years to kind of get his game, get his act together. I think Vic excels extremely in driving the ball, strokes gained into the green, kind of tee to green in general. I think that he will find himself in a place where he can kind of limp it around the greens and he'll take home a green jacket. And I think we saw this weekend, like we're, we're kind of used to seeing Vic f- come out hot and fall back Saturday or Sunday. And I mean, Sunday he was probably maybe the best player on the course. I mean, Brooks definitely beat him, but he had to kind of come from behind and stick with him the whole time. But I think the huge thing with him as he gets more of this experience, he said after the round in an interview, I just, I, I'm proud of myself because I didn't give it away today. I mean, you can argue maybe he did give it away with that bunker shot on 16. That was hard to watch. That's, that that is so weird. unfortunate, I think. I mean, he played well enough today to win a major. The, he just couldn't take down the buzzsaw. That's Brooks, I think. Was that, Corey Connors had the exact same I mean, almost shot? identical spot, almost identical shot. There just must be something about they don't feel like the ball's below their feet there and they thin it into the face. But pretty unlucky break for Vic, I will say. I think if he, he gets it up by the green, his short game was on point, it would be a completely different story. And it pretty much just turned into like a formality for Brooks the last couple holes once Vic did that. Well, I think we just saw a different demeanor out of him too. Like normally he's known for being that guy who almost looks like he's just stoned playing golf, right. like smiling ear to ear, taking it, not taking it too seriously. And I, I think he looked very locked in on Sunday, which is something I don't think we're really used to seeing from him. So you think he didn't smoke before round four? <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's why he played good. No, I did see a lot of Twitter activity, actually, where, like, Brooks and Vic didn't talk to each other the entire round. And I respect Vic for that. I think that Vic is saying, hey, we've got to change the gear here. We need to figure out something else in these Sunday majors. And I think, I really think he's trending in the right direction. Let's talk about some other guys. We got Scotty. I don't know. There's not much to talk about here with uh, Scotty. Just, just kind of like, you know, he's always up there. He didn't have a great first couple rounds. I want to jump to Bryson. Pretty big showing for Bryson. I think coming into this event... It, it was kind of touted that this wouldn't be a bomb and gouge. It would be total driving. But then it turned out that the fairways were so firm that even guys that were hitting it down the middle of the fairway were hitting it into the rough. So it became pretty much a distance contest. Bryson, um, you know, his irons were pretty loose this week. His putting, eh. But he drove the ball extremely well. He actually led the field like the first two rounds in strokes gained off the tee and driving accuracy. So like an unbelievable week off the tee for Bryson. I noticed that he was using like a mini driver. Did you see that? Instead of a three wood, he was using that burner mini driver. So I don't know, something like 13 to 14 degrees. I mean, he priced to hit that thing like 350, but another option off the tee for Bryson. But I was, I was pretty impressed with this game this week. He, uh, over the past six months, I would say Bryson has not impressed us very much. And it just kind of seems like that's kind of the theme in golf right now. You get these guys that maybe have a few months that just aren't their best. And all of a sudden, you forget they're there. And then they come back, and Bryson, I think, had a great week this week. I mean, week. almost out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. other than the fact that this was kind of being compared to his winged foot victory where it's bomb and gal, just hit as far as you can and wedge it in. He's not been playing well. I know he finally had a decent showing at the last live event, but he's been completely MIA in all these majors. So for him to go out there and be able to put this together, and I think he's trying to find out his new identity. So obviously the big bulky Bryson – kind of caught up to him and he realized basically he's like ruining his golf career and golf game. So he's lost a shitload of weight. He still hits the ball a mile. And I think he's finding that he, if he can tune in his approach game and short game a little bit more, he's going to be right back in contention. So you're saying that hitting the ball really far, hitting it really close on your approach 
and then putting well is the key to success. Yeah, that that usually holy. You know, that's will a work good. Out yeah, that's well. a good formula. That's, that must be the scientific formula. <laughs> but I, I think before when he was going for this long drive champion kind of player, and his approach game, I mean, he was not very good. So I think he's kind of recalibrating and, and getting all those levers in the in the right line. And I think this is great. I mean, Bryson is such a polarizing figure that it's just great for the game of golf to have him relevant. Is he coming back to potentially being your new favorite player again? I, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed seeing him <laughs> up there. I, I think his round Thursday was probably one of the best rounds of the tournament just because that was arguably the tougher conditions out there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the fact that he actually hung around. Every every round it was like, okay, he's still up there, but he's going to collapse. And he kind of stuck around. Never got too close to being, you know, in the lead. But Both of your two former yeah, favorite just, players. Yeah. Wait till yeah. Cam Smith starts really contending. Then yeah. Dub's going to be pretty torn. <laughs> I mean, I think we all kind of – miss these guys, right? And they're starting to really kind of show up in their old form, their old form. Like they're really embracing the fact that this live schedule is a lot shorter. It's not as burdensome and they're getting time to rest. Bryson, I think that he's taking a completely different approach. He's losing weight, but I was really surprised at how far he's still hitting it. It's absolutely ridiculous. He's still hitting his driver. He had eight drives over 320 on Thursday or Friday. I mean, that's pretty impressive. It's definitely impressive, but I mean, I guess in my mind, like he just, he went to like an aggressive extreme, obviously like he said, I'm going full bulk. Whereas like, yeah, he was hitting the piss out of the ball, but let's not pretend like JT who's a string bean doesn't also hit the hell out of the ball as well. And he just had to kind of find that middle ground. Like, yeah, you can be strong, but if you can't, you know, wipe your own ass kind of things, you're too big. You know, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> okay. Let's not throw shots here. Right. Let's talk about us. Uh, so we got Kurt Kitayama, not much there. Cam Davis, I mean, cool golfers. Good to see him up there. Kenny's boy, Sepp Straka. Pretty surprised to see him up here. I mean, you know, the guy's got game, but pretty much just a good week for him. Rory, T7. Let's talk a little bit about Rory. You know, I've kind of just, everyone talks about it, but I really feel like it's absolutely a problem is Rory's like one bad round he has every tournament. And he didn't specifically have a bad round at this one, but he just couldn't quite get it going. I need Rory to come out in round one. And just like bury the par fives and shoot four under, and all of a sudden he's going to be contending in every single major from here into infinity, right? He's got like a dozen top tens in the past couple, past four or five years, and they're pretty much all on the heels of one round that just didn't quite have it going. Everything else looks fine. So I think Rory's game looked really solid this week. The driver, he's starting looking like he's he's swinging it more naturally again. He's back to the old spider, but... Pretty, pretty encouraged with Rory's game this week. I really want to shit on Rory just because it's it's fun to watch you freak out. But, like, I'm kind of on your side here. Like, uh, as much as, you know, we have these unbelievable expectations for him because of the persona he's out there, the, the kind of crown that has been put on him as Tiger Woods is kind of fading out, all that kind of stuff. You know, in reality, I was looking at it, the last six majors, with the exception of missing the cut at the Masters, his worst finish is a solo eighth. It's crazy. So he's always there. You got to just assume he's going to put things together. I mean, it's it feels more inevitable than anything. Maybe Brooks passing him as in terms of like overall majors. Maybe that's going to like light a little fire, like similar that we saw last year, where he kind of rattled off three wins really quick, kind of stuff. I don't know what we're going to see, but it's hard to hate on him too much when he still manages a top ten and in a field that everybody struggled you know john rom who's been the most dominant player in golf arguably missed the cut or no he didn't miss shot, shot but he shot there, yeah he was six <laughs> he actually had a really good a really good sunday sorry i said that he was he was on the cut line wasn't he 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so sorry, and didn't have a good Saturday. Yeah. But came home with certainly. A good Rory carries the biggest expectations out of anybody out there, which is certainly something that kind of seems to maybe be weighing on him a little bit more these days. And you know, just the way he's kind of talking, it kind of feels like just something's going on behind the scenes that he's kind of really struggling through. Because you're right, like you got to give him props because he clearly didn't have his A game this week. And and just like we say with Scotty, like he just scrapped it together, knows how to score and just kind of hung around for a top 10 by playing a couple solid rounds on the weekend. Yeah. I think Scotty kind of just his Sunday round got him up to that T two, but yeah, the first three rounds were kind of identical to Rory's. And the, the, the one thing about Rory, I think going forward is that once he starts hitting the ball better, like the most underrated part of Rory's game is his short game. I think he's not the best in the world. Like Jordan makes, the most crazy up and downs. You'll never see Rory do that kind of stuff, but his consistency in his short game, very similar to Scotty, right? I think that's why their floor is kind of high, except for, you know, Rory at the Masters this year. That's just a lot of baggage. But I think you look at those guys, like in Brooks no too. jacket in that baggage. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, Brooks in that same conversation, his short game is just so consistent. All these guys that have good short games, their their floor is just really high. I did not realize until Brooks won that he now passes Rory for yeah. majors after this week. And I... I mean, that was just kind of mind-boggling that Rory is, you know, this transcendent player, yet Brooks has more majors than him. I think you think about Brooks, like, certainly this this is like the exclamation point on Brooks is probably the best major player of our generation, without a doubt. And yeah. then you look at guys like Spieth and JT and Rory, they got to get it going, right? Yeah. These are guys that were, they were coined like the generational players and they had great major performances early in their career, but Brooks caught up to them, and now they got something to prove. I'm, I'm excited to see those three going forward because I don't think any of their games are in a bad place. Like, I would have said Bryson's game was in a bad place six months ago. He certainly looked a little broken. But I think Rory, JT, and Spieth, they got a couple things to figure out. I think those guys might put a little foot to the, you know, pedal to the metal and see what they do this year. It'll be exciting. Yeah, and they're they're all certainly right there able to, like, catch Brooks kind of thing in the, the, the major race if they kind of get back to, honestly, for most of them except maybe JT who's run one one recently like that we saw in their early career like Jordan won three majors and it's like first like three years on tour kind of thing Rory hasn't won one in like eight years so but Rory was a pretty quick start as well yeah so like and JT's kind of been like wins one and then wait six years and wins another kind of thing but I mean you gotta assume that they're gonna get into that conversation but at this point you look at it and Brooks is in conversation. He's now tied with Seve, one of, you know, Ben's favorite golfers, you know, historically speaking, and just kind of like an all-around, like everyone loves that guy. He's only one behind Phil and Faldo, and Phil didn't win his first major till what, 34 or something like that? 34. I did not know that. That's yeah. outrageous. Yeah, so, like, he's theoretically has time to win six or whatever Phil's at at this point. And then, you know, he's two behind Palmer, which is arguably, like, the biggest kind of shock to me. Like, there's so many, like, big names that he is very, very in reach of. It's shocking. He's not the guy you would have ever thought would be there, but here he is. Especially in today's game, right, where you would agree the talent level's absolutely higher than it was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, you still had really great golfers back then, but the the consistency of the tour players today. So I think what Brooks is doing is pretty amazing. But So he has five five majors, three PGAs, two U.S. Opens. I'll say the one thing about, we talk about him chasing Tom Watson's record. Tom had eight, but Tom had five opens. So you think about like, it doesn't take anything away from, but I think that Brooks has become like a PGA specialist, right? I know he still has two U.S. Opens, but I think he's going to become like a PGA specialist. And I don't know. I think there's something to be said about, 
a guy that has eight majors but then wins the majority of them at one versus maybe more evenly spread across. So you're saying he's better than Tom Watson as a major player or not? No, I'm saying both of them maybe there's something to be said about how five of five of Watson's eight wins came at the open, right? He just played really good at the open. So maybe we just see Brooks play really good at the PGA. He gets to seven or eight majors, but he's got five or six PGAs. I don't know. There's something in that I conversation. Mean, it's, it's a valid point, but he ha- he does have a lot of top fives at all the majors. Agreed. So it's, you know, of course, the ones he's winning are the PGA in the U.S., but he's still have racked up quite a few top fives, top tens at the Open and the Masters. be interesting to look at, like, the discrepancy. Like, I feel like Lynx golf maybe brings out a lot more random winners than some other things versus I'm curious if – a, like a PGA or US Open that is designed to just be like a brutal test more is historically speaking maybe is that more often those elite golfers that you think of or are there a lot of just randos kind of thrown in there too I think that's why the Masters is like the best major because it's always in the same place well the best golfers win Augusta right like you you certainly get a few randoms that win the PGA and even the Open I don't know, the U.S. Open, I guess, can be a little random, too, but you rarely ever see a person win a Masters that is just out of left field. So I think that's why, like, the Masters become the most important majors, and that's why it's important that Rory hasn't won it, right? <laughs> Glad you said it because we didn't. I mean, yeah. Brooks Brooks is, like, that killer mindset. I mean, he's there, and I think he just kind of intimidates a lot of people. He's not there to make friends. He's not there to be a nice guy. He's just, you know, got that look in his eye, like, you know, something we haven't seen since Tiger. He's like, I'm just here to beat you. There, I saw a lot of comparisons today, you know, just putting, like, the stats up, you know, Rory versus – or, sorry, uh, Brooks versus Tiger, like, statistically in majors. Obviously, the Tiger has, you know, way more starts, but their percentages of wins for – in top tens, top fives, he was within 1% or 2% of Tiger for every, you know, notable statistic there, which was pretty impressive. I'm just going to put this out there, but so we now have Brooks with two T2s at Augusta. Mark my words, but maybe over the next five years, we see Brooks kind of struggle to get that green jacket, maybe to what we're seeing with Rory. I just think there's a little bit of a, there's a, you know, there's a little chip on your shoulder with Augusta. And I think that Brooks is going to start thinking, I don't want to just be the PGA guy. I want to be, I want to have the, you know, all four, all four majors. And I don't know if he's going to get it done at Augusta. Yeah, That's I mean, going to be what I Whatever say. makes you feel better about Rory by trying to draw him back to his level. We'll see. No, you he's just, passed him. But I mean, yeah, you can say okay. what you want, but I think there's, <laughs> there's something about Augusta that I think that Brooks and, and Rory too, they might struggle to win it. What's Rory's best finish at Augusta? Uh, T2. Yeah. T2 last, last year. Right. I don't know. I see, I see the open championship being a tough test for Brooks, the way he hits it, that high cut. I mean, he relies on that all the time. So if like, the wind's not in his favor or I don't know the the greens just aren't set up the way that he needs them to be I I think it's going to be hard for him. It, it just doesn't seem like his game fits the open championship model where you just need to kind of hit an iron down the fairway and then hit it to the right portion of the green. I, I would agree with you as, as another guy that tends to hit the ball high. The wind sucks. I hate it, but I, I kind of feel like we've seen that in the PGA at this point. We just saw a some very high wind days, the rainy days that you're maybe used to seeing at the US Open, and he handled that just fine. I also think that Brooks Brooks's two iron is one of the best two irons in, in golf. So I tend to no think Min that, Woo Lee, but no Min Woo Lee, but I do think that Brooks will contend in an open. So coming into this year, one of the biggest storylines was is Liv gonna win a major? Yes. So they just did. Obviously. What does this mean for Liv? I mean I 
Sorry. I don't think that... <laughs> I'll take this I'll one. Take this one. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm so tired of this question. Like, Bryson trying to get in the camera at the end as Brooks is walking off, like, hey, man, good job. Like, this means a lot for us. Like, How can you no, like that guy? Brooks is not playing one ounce of his... Like, he's not playing for Liv at all. Like, this is for Brooks. This has nothing to do with Liv. Like, if you ask... I'm sure if you ask Brooks, and I'm sure he got this question already, like, what's this mean for Liv? He'd probably say, I don't really care. I want it. It's mine. I did think it was notable that despite what you know, Greg Norman had come out and say, if a, a Live golfer wins a major, all <laughs> all the Live golfers are going to be out there waiting for him. I, uh, Liv, Brooks, who just finished, was the only one you saw. Yeah. I mean. Well, he went as far to say is, like, I think they were asking him, what does this mean for the, what is he, smash or crushers? Smash. I forget which, smash. He's like, I don't care. This is my win. This isn't a team win. And it's been, you know, widely reported that he's the guy out there. Like, I don't want to be on this tour anymore. I kind of want to come back to the PGA Tour, you know, versus other people. You got $3 million <laughs> to go towards that giant fine he has to pay to get out of it. But it, it is interesting. You know, there are a lot of live guys in the top 10. I mean, we didn't talk about Cam Smith. He had a hell of a Sunday to get in there. But I think it's more of an indictment on how bad Liv is because it's an exhibition. These guys play terrible on all these events. Uh, arguably, I mean, most of them, like Brooks, they just even don't said, give a shit. He's like, yeah. I don't, I mean, in as many words on pardon my take, he's like, I don't really care about DC live event this weekend. Like I could be last in the field and that's fine. So it's just, you know, that further proof that it's, it is an exhibition. It's not the best players. They only care about the majors. Now for the players, it gives them a lot of time to prep for the majors and, and kind of go out there. So definitely interesting I know Liv is kind of touting this as a big win for them, but I I don't really see it at all. Brooks's win this sorry Tully this win makes makes me even more angry at Liv, and I think I said this when Brooks was competing the Masters. Like we should be seeing Brooks tee it up with these guys every single week, but we're not. We're seeing him on CW every like two weeks. You're it's, tuning into CW? No, we. Well, I am not. Yeah, but, like, for that's family the only feud. Way to watch that <laughs> and it's just so refreshing to like see him competing in a major and winning a major and like dominating like this on a Sunday, which like I'm only going to get to see that for four weekends a year now. I mean, I, I'm definitely with you on there. Not necessarily on the Brooks side, because historically speaking, he doesn't really show up similar to how he doesn't really care about live. He never really showed up at a lot of like the regular events, but the general aspect of it, like I miss seeing those guys for sure. <laughs> I think the real question and like what this does theoretically for live is in the, the, the like, do they get world golf ranking points for these events, even if they are exhibitions, because like the fact of the matter is they do have those guys. And while some of them now, will, you know, we have those exemptions from their finishes and other majors and all that kind of wins, whatever it is, those do expire at some point. And if they don't manage to, like we saw Taylor Gooch not get into this because of whatever. No, he the cut. He's not in the U.S. Open. Not in the U.S. Open. Okay. Yeah. What, whichever one. It, like, he's not going to be in that because of. Loser. <laughs> because of kind of a, like, he's just not getting any points. But right, like he, he was, he won twice on live. Again, sure, it's an exhibition. Like it's that thing. But like we know he had, had the ability. He was one of the most promising golfers before he left. I think that is them theoretically getting some level of rankings based off the strength of their field and how, however they're going to calculate that, that's a whole thing, but they're going to have to start giving them something. I feel like, well, there's, there's two problems that are really about to reach a tipping point. World golf rankings. One of them, like all these live guys need to be in the majors, like yeah. plain and simple. They continue to compete. They continue to be at the top. I mean, there were what, how many guys that made the cut or made a top 20? I mean, quite a few. 
But then the other thing that Brooks winning, I think he even called this, is the Ryder Cup debate. Yep. Like, he statistically probably isn't going to make it, but how do you not pick him? I'm with you on that. Like, I, I want to. I want to make. Brooks, I think Brooks qualifies on points. He just moved up to two in the Ryder yeah. Cup rankings for his two so that, major. That won't be an okay. issue for him. I think the issue is that if Brooks is on the team and, like, I don't know, maybe DJ is playing some of his best golf of the year, and Zach Johnson says, "Oh, I'm picking Sahithi Gallo over DJ because he's on the Live Tour," when you already have a Live player on your team and qualifying through points like how does that make any sense give me a sec here give me a sec before we move into the Ryder Cup thing I want to make one more comment about this win for Liv I really thought that this win was going to feel like it propelled Liv to some more legitimacy and especially in the world golf ranking point discussion but it really feels like even from Live guys they're just doubling down on the fact that Liv is just like not a serious tour that it's giving them time to rest that it's allowing them to be super competitive at the majors I was so surprised to hear those Liv guys say that. Phil came out and tweeted that. Brooks continues to say that. Everyone talks about how Liv is like less stressful on them, and it's a lot like a lighter environment. I think that not only makes the World Golf Ranking argument harder for them, and I think we were kind of trending toward getting them World Golf Ranking points, I think that it makes Liv a little less compelling. It really, like, the parallel here is like a Liv event is like a regular tour event. They want it to be like an elevated event because of all the stars they have. But it doesn't feel like they're taking it serious, so why would we watch? I think that in-person live events are probably going to continue to do well because going to see the PGA champion in Brooks tee it up is great. So but you it gives, go to D.C. this weekend? I don't know about that. But it gives <laughs> us no reason to tune in on TV because it's certainly not anything that's super – it doesn't feel as competitive and as good as an elevated event. And that's just my stick. But let's let's talk about this Ryder Cup thing. So, right, so Brooks with his T his T two at Augusta or his solo second at Augusta and his win here moves up to number two in the U.S. Ryder Cup points rankings. So Zach Johnson is going to have a decision to make with DJ and Brooks and probably even Bryson, depending on how he plays in the next couple majors. Do you let these guys on the team? What are your guys' thoughts? Isn't the rule that like the top six in points period get in? Yes, or something like that. Unless. The Ryder Cup was to make some sort of rule, and I guess they've already come out and said, like, we're just sticking with the same point system. Top six or even top eight. There's four or six captain picks. I don't remember. I couldn't remember what, what the actual. But did the Ryder Cup come out and say that live golf guys are eligible? Because wasn't that a thing at the President's Cup, like where the President's Cup flat out said live golf is not allowed? So we didn't see a Cam Smith. We didn't see any the. Uh, I don't know if there's really too many Australians or anything. Like oh, yeah, that. Adam Scott, Jason Adam Scott. Day. I mean, any of those guys, right? And they came out and said, yeah, we're not letting them in. But I don't think that line has been drawn in the sand for the Ryder that's, Cup. That's why I was a little confused. I thought it was a. I think PG it was a problem they were hoping they would avoid. not have to solve. Right, they're hoping all these guys would play like shit, but it turns out they're still as good as they used to be. But I ain't as good as I was. Well, I, I think it's a case by case debate. So Brooks, obviously, he's there to participate, and he's still a big time player. DJ, like, I, he he kind of just seems like he's out there as an exhibition, even the majors. Like, yeah, he. I think he was close to the lead, what, after first or second round, and then just completely faded. He, he hasn't turned in two good performances at the majors. So I think you got to look at the majors, and that's how you base your decision on. And, and if you have guys continuously playing well in these majors, then, yeah, they need to be considered whether they're live or PGA. And I will say that, like, again, I mean, Rory would be European, but Rory gave him a big old hug. It was like, hey, congrats. Like, he, Brooks? Yeah, yeah, they're boys. Uh, but they uh, live in Jupiter. I mean, yeah. But uh, my point being, like, if Rory was willing to give Brooks a big hug, like, you got to assume that there wouldn't be any issue with the other PGA Tour players on the team. 
So like that's got to take away that theoretical controversy, other than the media being like, yeah. "Oh, he's on live, he's on live." Yeah, he's but I live. think that's just, I think Brooks is a special case there. Sure. I don't think Bryson gets the same reaction. From oh, Bryson doesn't get the reaction from anybody. <laughs> right. But with DJ, but especially I think you got to take the emotion out of it, though. I don't know. We can't be having emotion in this conversation, right? I think Brooks is certainly like tapped into our hearts with his little story about being injured, and it's totally empathize with him like crazy, right? He thought he'd never be a contender ever again. But it's got to be based purely on quality of play. And yes, the majors are a good barometer, but what the last one will be the Open, and that will be in like July. So we got like a two-month gap between the Open and the Ryder Cup, and about a month and a half between that and the picks. There's a lot of time between then and there, and how do you really base your decision on these guys if they're playing well or not? I think that's the tough part. That's a good point, but I guess like, again, this would be a very Brooks Pro statement, but it's... Brooks has now shown that he can take months off from being in the PJ Tour and then be right in that super competitive mindset. Like I thought, I felt like Brooks was back when he comes out. Well, yeah, if I finish second and then win the next three, how are you not gonna pick me for the Ryder Cup kind of thing? Like, I mean, I think the it's you have you can't take emotion out of it in my opinion because that is the biggest thing you're actually looking at these players about because you only can see them you have to be able to look at emotionally how do they handle the most competitive times how do, i mean like I'm, like the compassion not emotion necessarily like i think we have too much compassion for brooks and his story but you're right from emotional perspective right how do they hold up how you know what's their game like under pressure that's gonna yeah i agree with that well i i think that compassionate brooks story is gone i mean he's back to how he was where a lot of people did not like him that cocky arrogant guy so he's not the guy swinging on the little swing in his bedroom watching <laughs> Jenna try on bathing suits, not being able to pay attention because he sucks. <laughs> I mean, he's completely, he's all the way back. I mean, I agree with that. I just think that Brooks certainly pulled on our heartstrings and was making us feel like, you know. I, I was sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. And, and, sure. and so it's more of like a now he's like this comeback story. And certainly he's playing well enough to be on the Ryder Cup team. It's just whether or not, I think. I, I think that they'll let him on. Um, I'm, I would be surprised if we see anybody else than Brooks and DJ. DJ's going to have to show something. I think DJ is the only other possibility, but I don't think, I don't see him on the team. I don't know their records, but I think the DJ's record in Ryder Cup is pretty solid. All right. Let's talk about Mike. Let's talk about block, the block party, man. Mike block arguably overshadowed Brooks. What are we doing? We're, we're over 30 minutes in. We haven't talked. I got, I got, I I want to preface this a little bit because I'm not trying to take away from Mike block, but I do need to preface it with like. Mike Block's played in seven of these. He shot 73 in his second round last year at, at uh, Southern Hills. He tied Patrick Cantlay, just missed the cut, but tied Patrick Cantlay at Southern Hills. The guy's got game. He's a plus four and a half handicap. His game is there, but I think what was so miraculous about his play this week is some of the guys he played with, right, Rory in the final round, which is just like, that's huge, right? The number one, you know, PGA Tour golfer from a fan perspective to play with him in the crowds, although I think the Mike Block crowds were bigger than the Rory crowds. For Mike Block to play as well as he did for four rounds was outrageous. And his hole in one, that might be one of the most wonderful sports moments in the past 20 years. I mean, I couldn't believe when that happened. And he didn't even know it went in. Yeah, he, he couldn't. I think he knew it went in. Like, he saw it just as much as everybody else. Like, But he just couldn't accept. Like, that's not possible. It felt too Hollywood. It felt too, like, a bunch of a made-up story. It's like, no, I just could not. No, it didn't go. And you're, you're, Rory, why are you hugging me? You no, you shouldn't be hugging me. Kind of, This doesn't make any sense to him. It'd be better if he was like, yeah, thinned it a little bit. <laughs> Hit it a little long, but oh, it flew in He's not cup. Brooks. We've been over <laughs> Well, it was funny, too. Like, Saturday, he plays with Rosie, who goes out there and plays well, major winner. And it just looked like Block was there, like, cheering him on. 
Yeah. Like he was just that like what's the guy at the Masters who plays with the the single and you know, Oh yeah, the guy that's the member. Yeah, that's what the the pace setter. Like I mean that's kind of what he felt and he's out there like shooting even every day. I, it's just there were a couple moments in that third round where Mike blocked, you know, he'd like make a ten foot putt and he'd do that thing where he'd like look at the crowd, like, can't believe this is me right now. <laughs> oh, Jordan like Shug. And then you got Rosie over here with like an eight footer grinding out for bogey, and Rose is like, Mike, get the fuck on with it. Like I gotta I'm, <laughs> there was something about that that made me laugh. But Rosie obviously a great sport, and I think that what an incredible weekend pairing between Justin Rose and Roy McElroy. I mean, the world is on fire for Mike Block. He gets into the Charles Schwab challenge this week, as well as an invite to the RBC Canadian next week. Unbelievable stuff. And I think the big thing I want to ask you guys is so Mike Block to make the cut this week is like plus 180 and to miss is minus 215. Where do you guys really think his game will be at this week? I'm going to bet with my heart like I always do, so I'll probably lose, but I'm taking him to make the cut. I just want the story. I love the idea of him. Like, no, he's not going to come out and win this event. It's just like it's not going to happen. Just like we never thought he was going to. Top five, right? He he could top five. Who knows? You know? (laughs) But, like, no one ever actually thought he was going to win, even when he was right up there. Like, there's just no way. Like, But I want to see him to still have that, like, success. And just, like, he's, he's now a folk hero. And, like, I want that like that myth behind him to exist for these the next couple weeks. And then I just want to see him never hear, hear about him again. Yeah. And just, like, randomly, like, every PGA in California, yeah, yeah. and I run into, go into his golf course, and, like, there he is. That's all I ever want to hear from him after, like, these three weeks. Yeah, I'm a little worried this week might be, you know, his his light shining a little too bright and going <laughs> out because his distance, or lack thereof, oh, like, he's can, like can work yeah. at, a, at a place like Oak Hill because you hit the fairways, they're firm, you get a ton of rollout, versus these, these longer courses where it's just like a birdie fest. I... I Kind of, I struggled to see how he's going to be able to keep up in the same pace that he did with these guys last week. I, I think the PGA Championship, like you're playing in a major, you've he's been like preparing for this for I, don't, I mean I don't know how long he's known he's qualified. Like he's been preparing for this. He's knows he's going to kill. Now all of a sudden he's competing in a real tour event. He's got to go out there with these guys who are like grinding for their cards. Austin Smotherman, right? Going to yeah. shoot like nine under and playing with he's, Mike Block. He's going to be back there competing with all the mules, as some of our colleagues would say. <laughs> I just don't see how he makes the cut this week. I think he's going to miss it by a pretty wide margin. Did, I you, think, did yeah. you see that shank he hit on I mean, fr- fr- Friday, Saturday? Not a lot of people are talking about that. <laughs> yeah, like 180-yard part three. He just straight hosel rockets it into the trees, but and it gets bounces lucky. out. Yeah. yeah, He still makes double, but like... The, well, also, I think DJ shanked it a couple times this week, yeah. so it's just kind of funny. Ben, to your initial point, like he's not your typical PGA pro. He plays a lot. It's very good. He, I think he on his walk and talk, he's talking about because they were like, "Oh, you're, it says on the website your fee is one hundred twenty five dollars an hour. You're gonna have to raise that." He's like, "I haven't taken a new client in like ten years. Yeah, I only work with people that I want to go out and have a beer with, and I love that. I only give a couple lessons a week and." Um, you know, nothing to take away from everything he, everything else he probably does for his club, but he plays a lot more than, you know, some of the pros that we know around here. Also, his son is playing against him in local qualifying for the U.S. He so came out and said if he gets a chance, he's like, yeah, I'll just let him win if, if it comes down to the two of us. It. I just loved his demeanor, like, all weekend. I mean, the press conferences aside, like him, like, shrugging off these putts, but, like, the pictures of him, like, out of the bar, like, each night, yeah. like, at, with his, like, uh, credentials on, yeah. like, that's awesome. And even just watching him on Sunday, like, you know, he's about to play like the biggest 18 holes of his life. He's about to be paired with Rory. And he's like sitting there, like on the, like where the, 
where the trophy's being held, like with his shoulder on it, just like waiting for Rory <laughs> to show up. Like he's just, I don't know. He just seems like a cool guy. I need him to be my psychologist. Cause like I am the exact opposite of the goal. Like, I'm a head case kind of thing. Like, he just, he was, that is what everyone needs to have mentally when they're on the golf course. Like for those average Joes, they don't need to necessarily have the killer, you know, mindset, but they just like, it is what it is. I'm having a great time. And he was just enjoying life. And I, it was I think phenomenal. I heard him saying, maybe it was today, yesterday, that Southern Hills, his two rounds there, he played in the group before or after Tiger. Yeah. So he had gigantic crowds following him. And he said, that was an adjustment. But that experience made playing with, you know, Rose to a obviously much lesser extent, but playing with Rory, like, possible. Yeah. Because I've played in humongous... Uh, auditoriums before with all these people watching us. I didn't really get a good look at the crowds following them, but I got to believe that's some of the biggest crowds to like follow a, a tour grouping since like Tiger, right? Since like Tiger in his prime or even like Tiger at Augusta, Mike Block being like the feel good story and Rory being like the PGA tour sweetheart. People must have been like lining up <laughs> 17 deep to watch that group. This is a good segue to a grievance that I would like to air. <laughs> I don't, I don't like, it's to, not like I don't want to get into the whole like, it's not <laughs> poo-poo on the coverage but like cbs played this story up the whole like leading into it they showed him standing on the first tee they showed his first tee shot and he bogeyed the first hole and then we didn't hear from him again that was i was bullshit. like i was sat there i watched that first hole and i'm like this is gonna be so exciting to watch him and rory play all day long get to see every shot and then he's just gone until and they're lucky he made that hole in one on 15 or else we probably wouldn't have seen heard from him until the 18th and then he, he would have been doing the interviews and after. the same thing with Rory Rory stuffs it to like three inches in the first hole and then he bogeys two and you don't see him until like the back nine yeah. same thing I think and I'm not trying to get into this because I feel like this is pretty nitpicky but the CBS coverage is awful it doesn't show anybody unless they're in the top five or six contending it's all coverage period is horrible. I know I mean I, I'll tell you what though I will give total props to Michael Collins and Matt Barry they're Maddie and the caddy um, segment on ESPN two this week was incredible to watch right they do the thing like the Manning brothers on the NFL where they interview people but their their coverage of the event and then Michael Collins being a caddy on the PGA Tour, I think that their simulcast is easily the best on on golf coverage. I will say ESPN has done a really is you're, they're very clearly trying to find something that works better than what we've seen for the last thirty years. I think they're knocking it out of the park. Like it's it's not perfect for sure, but like they're at least let's just throw let's throw the no laying up guys out there. Let's throw that in the caddy. Let's it's, let's try these different things to make it more engaging. And I love Bob that. Does sports was on there. Bob. Yeah. Bob, somebody interviewed. That's incredible. It's so much more entertaining, especially like early on. Like, yeah, once the, the leaders get out there and they're in the back nine or even the front nine, it's like, okay, like I'm tuning in for coverage a little bit more play by play, but early on, it makes it so much more enjoyable watching these broadcasts when it's got guys like not necessarily trying to call every shot and just like, basically shooting the shit out there talking about the course and more like what you do when you're actually right. playing golf. Yeah, and they made it, you know, the, the different variations they did with no laying up and, and Maddie and the caddy. I mean, it's just, you know, slam dunk. Let's keep it up. <clears throat> so then I want to wrap this up by talking about Oak Hill in general. Um, I didn't know much about this place, but it is absolutely pristine. And JJ Colleen, the guy that's on the, for the people podcast with uh, John Peterson qualified as one of the PGA pros didn't make the cut. He comes out in a tweet and says, this might be controversial, but I think this place might be better than Augusta. Yeah. Whoa! And I think it's might in the be. same conversation. I mean, I think that Augusta, right, is the pinnacle of golf because of 
the Masters. And it's a wonderful golf course, but I think that Oak Hill contends so closely with it. Those greens were perfect all week. The rough played tough. I think the course design was really good, too. You saw lots of different clubs off the tee for the guy, tees for the guys. You saw long par fives, so you didn't see like highly dominant performances on the par fives. I really enjoyed this course this week. I enjoyed the course because of the carnage that we saw, but let's not, let's slow slow it down here. It's nowhere near Augusta. But I, I will say, I thought this played... And honestly, the last two PGA Championships have been the most entertaining majors, like how they've set up the courses, what they've been able to put out there. It's been phenomenal. And I love seeing these guys struggle around the course. Like, you know, we mentioned John Rahm earlier, how he struggled to make the cut and then just didn't do anything. JT giving away his 60 degree because he's so frustrated with it. Like, I love seeing that. I love that they're able to make the course into that and that is maybe the only thing not the only thing but one of the things that a u.s open a pga has going for it in that like they can more customize it versus an augusta where like if they really try to like change augusta and like grow up some like ridiculous rough everyone would be like pissed it would make it impossible yeah so like i love that i thought it was phenomenal it played great we got to see it in all different weather kind of situations it was it just held up more than I could have expected. How about some of the pin placements they picked on those huge greens? Like number two, the the pin placement on Sunday, number two was <laughs> it was three paces on from the front and three paces from the right side. Like literally just tuck, like as tucked as you can tuck it with slopes left and deep. <laughs> so yeah, unbelievable. Pretty much on like a little dime. Yeah, and these guys are still dropping it in there. Yeah, for like a five foot birdie putt. And you saw it means so they had what one par three this week that played anywhere from two thirty to almost two fifty on Sunday. Rom hits like a power fade four iron that hits in the middle of the green and runs into the rough, and he goes, nice fucking pin placement, PGA. <laughs> Everyone always complains about the way the PGA yeah. sets There was up so many F-bobs dropped on coverage. I tell week. you what, that's the other thing about ESPN. The hot mics were unbelievable, <laughs> and we need more of that. Once I mean, it didn't get destroyed by Good Rom. Lord, that was yeah. great. But, no, I, I thought it was a fair test. You know, you never want to see when they grow these roughs up, it turn into what happened at Wingfoot two right. years ago or however long ago that was. But it was – you know, you couldn't necessarily keep going at these pins in the rough, but you still had enough of a shot that you could potentially go for the green and kind of run it up and, you know, certainly put a premium on hitting the fairway, which the fairways were attainable. Yeah. It wasn't too firm, too fast that you were in the rough, like no matter what. So definitely showed well. I don't know, you know, the nuts and bolts of the renovation, but I think that had to have been a gigantic plus because of how they kind of talked about it, just made this much more playable. Yeah, it was mostly just three holes, and then they took out a bunch of trees. So that Andrew Green guy, I think he did a great job, though. Congressional, too, I, right? I thought yeah. it was cool. And and when I watch when I watch the Masters, like Augusta, obviously they play it every year, so it's easy to do this. But you know, like, where if someone's in chase, like, where they need to make up strokes or where the course is going to play tough, like, which holes are going to be tough, which holes are going to be easy, and where you need to start making birdies. I felt the same way with this course. The back nine was definitely easy, easier. Uh, like seven, eight, nine were really tough. And Impossible. I think 16, Six, seven, 17, and nine. 18 were also tough. But then like you had holes like the 13th, the par five was gettable, even though it was a three shot par five for all these guys. Like it was still really gettable. 14 was a drivable par four. Like there were strokes we made up on the back nine. You kind of knew that's when Scotty made his run on Sunday right. to kind of get back into it. And you just kind of, that's where Vic kind of had to make up his strokes and Brooks had to fall apart and he just didn't do it. I appreciate that about this course. Like the first five holes in this course are gettable. Then six, seven, eight's not bad, but nine is difficult. You got to get through that stretch. You just got to get through even or one over. And then you start the back nine, you got birdie holes. But then you get 16, 17, and 18. They're an absolute bear. 500-yard par fours, uphill, tight fairways. Like I really enjoyed that about like there were plenty of holes to go out and birdie. And that's think that's why I'm most upset about like Rory not being able to take advantage is that he just didn't play those tough holes 
consistently well enough. He just too many bogeys kind of crept in. And I, I never remember watching a tournament where par fives were less of a, maybe not factor, but it wasn't just an auto birdie like no. basically any other tournament is. Like if you don't birdie a par five, you're losing a stroke on the field. And two par fives played nothing like that this week, which was, you know, made it a lot more fun to watch too, that it wasn't just like a foregone conclusion that birdie, you have to make birdie on these par fives. I mean, 70% of the guys that hit the T-ball in the fairway were laying up. That's how hard it was, and I love that. All right, I think that does it for our people. Oh, 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 okay. no. Can we just give a quick shout-out to uh, Minwoo Lee? Didn't want to skip that one. <laughs> Didn't want to skip that one. This guy is just, clearly, he's become my new favorite golfer. I'm texting these guys about him constantly. He's bobbing at 340 down the middle. He's got swagger on the course. Unfortunately, I saw one live shot from him all weekend when he chipped in. But I mean, oh wow, what a coincidence! T18, T18 this week, he qualifies for the rest of the PGA Tour events this season. Great for him. Can he now afford to buy a razor? Because that mustache is horrible. I think the mustache <laughs> is gone. I, I was watching this part of the Sunday round at my parents' house, and then I, I was telling my mom, I was like, yeah, that's Colin's favorite golfer. He, she goes, Colin looks like a little bit of a douchebag. I go, but he's a really great guy. Like, don't let the looks, boy. He's got like the mullet with the mustache. I said, he's one of the best guys on tour. But so, so he and uh, Ryan Fox, the two Kiwis, get special uh, full exemption status now on the PGA Tour. I think that's pretty rare for like two guys from the same small country to get it on the same week. But props to both of them; they're playing great it's, golf. It's amazing to me because I've been kind of following him. You know, fun guy to watch. Especially I remember watching with the players when he was kind of in contention. But how bad his approach game is, or how <laughs> how contrasting it is to Minji, his sister. Like right. they have completely opposite games. Like. He puts the ball. His short game's really solid. Hits the shit out of the ball, but yet his approach game is just non-existent. It's all over the place, yeah. and that was, that's what makes him fun to watch. Because it'll be like right down the middle, and you're yeah. like, "Okay, here it comes. Where's he gonna? Where's he gonna end up here?" <laughs> Meanwhile, Minji in like the segments of 100 to 125, 125 to 150, 150 to 175, etc. She literally had closer proximities to the hole than the best players on the PGA Tour last year in every one of those categories. So that that's unbelievable how good of a ball striker she is. And then Minwoo is just like all over the place and then just cobbles it together. Let's let's take the two of them and fuse them together to just make a super yeah. golfer. Saturday, I think, no, Friday, Minwoo hit a 77-foot birdie putt. Yeah, I saw like, that one. was insane. <laughs> I think he, that was when he was one on his four birdies and five-hole stretch. I mean, guy's just amazing. I think watch. they literally had to submit, like, a fan's phone video of it because they didn't have it on coverage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched it. The I video so, I saw was from the crowd. <laughs> I got so used to watching, like, the little, like, tracker shots this weekend on my phone that, like, when I actually got to see a real golf shot hit, it seemed so incredible. <laughs> All right, that's great. A good week at the PGA. Really an unbelievable leaderboard. Brooks kind of just cementing himself atop, atop the Rushmore, right, with major championships. So we'll see how that goes for the pursuers like Rory, JT, and Jordan. Let's get into, we'll roll the, roll the dial back a little bit here, but two weeks ago, right, we had our little BPO annual trip to Atlantic City. We got to play some, I actually was pretty surprised at how nice these golf courses were. Colin, props to you. You kind of coordinated it all. I didn't know golf was that good in AC. And, of course, we had a great time at the casinos and the bars. I mean, Atlantic City, not safe at night. <laughs> you got to Uber everywhere, right? But, or a limo, uh, apparently. Yeah, we did take a limo. It's, like, not even that much more expensive than an Uber. <laughs> but all in all, I think a great trip. The house held up well. What are you guys, uh, what were your favorite moments from the past weekend? Leaving. <laughs> I didn't get much sleep. I sent this picture to Colin from my Whoop where, like, 
It does a thing called heart rate variability. And if it says if your heart rate variability is below 40, it says you should seek immediate medical attention. <laughs> and it was like that for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. So, so re- recovery scores over under like 10% oh, every night. It was literally 13, <laughs> and then it was one in one. I think my favorite part of the weekend was we had a, couple, a, a good amount of new faces joining us. We had 16 guys, which I think normally you usually get like 12 or 13. So a lot of new faces. It was, it was great. Dudge, Seth, Mickey. Who else am I missing? Everybody else. Those are our, those are our three new ones, yeah. and they were great additions. Just, it was a blast. So, rookie of the year conversation. Who are we taking? Mickey, Dudge, or Seth? Or Seth? Mickey Self. came in just under, underperformed, in my opinion. Just an underperforming guy. You I, know, I don't I, think Mickey's getting enough credit. I don't think he played that terrible of golf. Oh, when, I, but, I'm talking about just like vibes. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, he skipped. <laughs> yeah. He might have skipped the last night because he had to be home for Father's Day. Which Mother's Day, Mother's Day, or Mother's Day. <laughs> respect, respect to that. Like he's really growing up. I'm proud of Mickey. He's taking strides in the right direction. But I also didn't play a single round with Mickey, so I don't, I don't really. You, yeah, Mickey was quite a sight for sore eyes on the uh, 19th hole after Sea View. I'll give it to him there. He was having a lot of fun. We were all having a lot of fun. I will say that Seth texted me the day after, and he said, "I don't know if it's good or bad to win Rookie of the Year, but I want it so bad." <laughs> <laughs> He's a competitor. He was out there grinding for it. I think it's a two-horse race between him and Dudge. Well, I think you kind of throw Mickey out of the conversation because he's been around. and. Well, I mean, he he didn't. He wasn't there for the first round. He wasn't there for the last round. I mean, I I got to cut him back a little bit there. If I recall correctly, the his last night there, he just slept for like 12 to 17 hours. He was also dry heaving on the course before that. So maybe he that, that one, might be the reason. He had one really good, one really good round, like, you know, the opposite of Rory kind of situation. And just really showed out. And then I think, you know, things caught up with him after uh, an, a night and a half, a day and a half kind of situation. So I think it's, in my opinion, it goes to Dudge. Sorry, Seth. But that, that clutch McDonald's run... The morning we're all cleaning Good up Lord. and we're all just struggling and all that kind of fun stuff. And all of a sudden we get a Uber Eats that has like 14 breakfast sandwiches, 17 burritos and 18 hash browns or something ridiculous like that. It was it was a real yep. clutch up situation. He's just he was just a happy guy, you know. Was good Never seen there. him a griddle I didn't like. Also <laughs> overperformed on the golf course relative to our Dudge's rankings. game and Seth too. I'll give Seth some credit. He maybe struggled off the tee a bit, but Dudge, man, that guy's got some game. I could see Dudge shooting in the seventies in the next year. I mean, or he two. does wear rowback consistently, yeah. so you got to give him a lot of bonus points true, for that. True. I mean, granted, we had a lot of overlapping polos <laughs> amongst the group, but I would say when I do my rankings for rookie of the year, and in general, when I think about these trips, there's always like one night or one place we go that's always a lot of fun. And for me, it was that 19th hole after Seaview. Oh. We had an incredible time there. We closed our tab and then did like one more. And we did that like five or six times. Mickey, he really showed up there. I got to give Mickey a lot of credit. I know he wasn't there for the last round or the first round, but those big moments when Mickey shines brightest, I tell you, he he's my rookie of the year. Well, Mickey and Seth, both they both really hit it off more than I thought they would. <laughs> and those two at that 19th hole just like, Playing off each other, the bits, the bits oh that they were throwing her out, giving the bartender a hard Buffet time. Oh, that was that was a good time. See, that's what I'm saying. Every Mickey story is him interacting with Seth. So I, I feel like it's you like can't, co rookie of the year. You, you can't put Mickey ahead of Seth because all of his best stories seemingly come from when he's with Seth. Let's just give it to all three. They were all yeah. great. No, <laughs> Seth was like the For Robin sure. to to Mickey's Batman. Yeah. All right, at the nineteenth hole. Yeah, and in that case, he was Batman to Colin's Joker because. You know, Seth is Colin is a villain. Seth is the complete opposite of Colin. He's just like the perfect like balance. <laughs> you, you can't have one without the other. It feels like no. I, I do need to bring up that Friday round before we went to the nineteenth hole. Do we 
give do we dock any points for Mickey because he hit the curb on the Because he the, drove the, the cart, cart into the curb? Yeah. I mean, come on. That's a first on the BPO. God, you got to learn how to drive, Oh, Mickey. Well, allegedly. We don't want them, you know, send them a bill. Don't a listen bill to this, CBO. <laughs> front axle. Yeah, we had to get a cart out to the 18th tee. Mickey, you and Mickey driving that cart to the 18th tee, <laughs> swerving over the road because the one tire was, like, sticking out sideways. Uh, we'll leave that for another time. How did you guys think about the golf courses? I mean, Seaview, right? It's where they play the LPGA ShopRite Classic. We got to play the Bay Course, which is the course they play. Interestingly enough, that course only played like 6,300 yards from the tips. I think we played one tee up, just whatever. But I expected that course to have another set of tees. I mean, 6,300 from the tips is extremely short, but I like that course a lot. It was really fun. Uh, green complexes were good. I mean, lots of different shots off the tee drivable par fours. I mean, you kind of got everything you needed. I think that was definitely the prettiest course we played. Like, it was the one that's right on the water. Like, you'd have really just cool tee shots where, like, it'd be the green and then you just some, like, reeds and it's just ocean, bay, whatever that yep. it was. I don't know. It, it was definitely the prettiest course out there and arguably did have the best 19th hole, as we've already kind of alluded to, that wasn't really the 19th hole in the sense of... It's off property. It's, it's not but any associated. way associated. It's the official, <laughs> unofficial Yeah, it was, it was weird, but it's like... You know, some old like you know crates from a you know, shipping company right. that was just they turned into a bar, which was really cool. Highly touted by Mel Reed, LPGA <laughs> Tour winner. Uh, my favorite, I think, was Twisted Dunes, though. Yeah, I, I really one. enjoyed that. Like their only downfall was that you know they are not a dry course, but they don't sell any beer or liquor or anything on the course, which probably worked to our advantage. Which, but at the same time, we all just brought you know everybody had thirty beers to themselves, kind of thing. Did kind of yearn for a transfusion. Yeah, I, I, there was a point. I think Dub may have had a couple hiding in his bag. You could have could have tried to steal from, but I I thought that course, even through the rain, like it was the it was that kind of linksy style and pretty, but not punishing, but rewarding but put, like, it was just it kind of had it all without like making me feel like i hate myself i i think that was far and away my favorite course i mean maybe it was because Dub shot even know, par. My, my partner yeah. and i like just Ugh. wiped the floor <laughs> oh the come on we chaz if you're listening we'll run but back it, like you're saying it was the perfect combination of like it was kind of tough off the tee but yet still open enough that you'd go find your ball like yeah. you might not be you know having an easy shot it was a perfect golf trip course yeah and then you know the greens were you know some of them were tough to hit others were wide open and it was just a good combination you know coupled with the fact that no one else was out there seemingly <laughs> that was like nice. we basically yeah. had the place to ourselves you know the the sand hills i couldn't stop talking about the sand cart pass like i can't I get enough that. of that. I, love that I did almost spin out multiple times and <laughs> Very sketchy because they do, when you get there, you're pulling out. There's just this little, like, 8 by 11 sheet of paper that's laminated that just says, roof costs $350. All the pieces that you Wheel costs $200. Ironically, the round <laughs> after we bent a wheel 45 degrees. Whoa, no, no, no. The curb. Bent yeah, Mickey You guys did. didn't do it. Mickey did. Well, I was, I was worried, like, waiting to tee off because, A, we had to wait for carts to come in. And we're standing there trying to figure out what tees to play and, you know, the the cart guy or whoever was working there kind of overheard us and he's like you are talking about playing blues i hope you're all like low single digits and we're like no he's like well then you definitely have to play whites and then i was like holy shit we've heard that this so course is times. gonna be impossible where's the first see what's the course right <laughs> yeah. i will say we hear that every course we go to i think it's they say that more because they're like yeah, these like, guys ugh. are drunk idiots let's not have them play the you know back tees and take forever yeah, I think I think um, I want to bring up McCullough's Emerald Links because I think it's going to fall to the bottom of the rankings for most. Yep, I enjoyed that course, although I'll caveat it with there were just a couple tee shots that were blind that you thought you hit it really good and, and then you're in the junk. But 
80% of that course I thought was really nice. I mean, the wind really kept, the wind was really up on that course. I think it made it a lot of fun, but it is just those couple holes where you thought you hit nice balls down the middle and they're in the junk. Not many courses have bagpipes pumping through a couple holes, <laughs> and I loved it. It felt like I was at St. Patrick's Day, just hammer drunk. It was great. You didn't hear that? Like, I missed this. Oh, you were I at missed that round. round. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was late, like. But that the first time I'm hearing about eight, bagpipes nine, the course. And then like 17, 18 maybe, like there's like just little like, Looks like a like a utility shed almost kind of thing, and there's, there's a just, guy in there playing the bagpipes. He's, just, he's just sweating his ass off in that little hut, just going to town. But it, it was just kind of like you, you. I remember sitting out before the round, like I'm sitting on the little patio bar thing that overlooks, you know, three or four holes, and Chuck and I are just like, "What the hell is that? What are we hearing?" And like Seagulls. having to go in and ask, and they're like, oh, "Okay, it's actually like a thing they're trying to do." It was it was a fun, arguably the best food. No offense, Maimon, that we had all weekend was that you know we went back to that clubhouse. Yeah, it's where we ended up because the last yeah. course we played didn't really have a nineteenth hole because yeah, well, it was Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. <laughs> yeah, but that course arguably had the best bar tenders. Yes. Tenders. I mean, like <laughs> they were at McCullough's when we when we <laughs> yeah. after. Yeah. I mean, tenders. you can't not. Make oh, I thought you were talking about the chicken, chicken tenders that oh, me yeah. and Telly got into. That that so they're, they're having a Mother's Day buffet and there's no food for anyone. And me and Telly like sweet talk to bartender to going up to the buffet and getting us a, th- a carton of chicken tenders, and it worked. It was delicious. So, there are too many times you order a transfusion and they give you a canned transfusion <laughs> and they say, "Do you want a floater with this?" <laughs> and then they fill your cup up halfway with vodka. It, that did me in on the back. Yeah, that, those definitely hit pretty what hard. What that night? <laughs> yeah. I, I will also say that that was second on my course list of rankings strictly because of the fact that I've never once in my life been, you know, we're, I think we were the third group to go off. The fourth group, it was, you know, right behind us, both foursomes, and the starter just comes up. Yeah, if you guys want to play as eight, go ahead. We don't really care. Yeah, he was really cool. He's just, just like when you come into nine or come into eighteen, yeah, just break up. He was just so casual about it because, like, yeah, it's slow. Like, we it doesn't bother us at all. Like, if someone comes up, let them play through. Like, we didn't. We so we obviously waited to do it, not on one. Like he asked, and then like just we were distance apart. And we finally go to group up on. I think it was like ten or eleven or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Eleven T. But we're all just waiting to tee off. We're like, oh, all right, we'll, we'll actually go together. And then he comes up. Hey, because, break it up. Because there's, <laughs> the, for the first time all around, there's this random, like, twosome out there. Random. Just, oh, is right there. I think he was a little disillusioned when he told us that. Because he's like, no one's going to be out here. You're going to be fine. And then it's like, it was stacked it's up like all day behind. like six groups behind us. Yeah. And that hole you're talking about specifically, there were like five groups on that hole by the time we, like, finished teeing off. Yeah, but and, like, and three of them called the pro shop on our group, and he's just like, just wait two more holes and then get back together. It's like, well, they're still going to be right but there. But the, the first group, like, it was me, Ben, Dudge, and Chaz. Like, we were all just standing there waiting for the group yeah. ahead of us to finish, and you guys were finished the hole behind. Like, we weren't even doing anything wrong when he finally came up. We were all just, like, waiting. Also, I think those were the nicest greens we played on. Those greens rolled great. I mean, you get it's a tough with like the the C courses or the courses that are on the sand where the greens aren't always the greatest. Those were easily the nicest greens we played on. All right, what about the casinos, guys? We went to a few. We went Fuck to no. the new one, the Oceans Casino, which was really solid, right? We yeah. found out that that casino was built for like $2 billion, had to go bankrupt, and the new people bought it for like $80 million. Right, still a hefty chunk of change, but a lot less than $2 billion. That That place was Math amazing. Checks. Math checks. Borgata, eh. Too, but then too expensive. The, the Tropicana was pretty amazing. That was like a literal Mall of America. <laughs> Don't know what that's Eric like. went to go leave to get the Uber, and he came back in like 10 minutes. He goes, I don't even know how to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a few beers, but he couldn't get out of the Tropicana. 
We found that a damn good sports bar. That place was pretty solid. Nice yeah. place. What was, we were getting 40s of Miller Lite for nine bucks. Yeah, really great deal. Yeah, I'm not a big gambler, so like I don't need to see another casino for a long time. But, fair. Uh, oh, no, I've got the itch. i got to get that money back. I, <laughs> I lost a lot. The, the last night, going to see 3 a.m. Tokyo. Thanks for waking me up, yeah. Dub. Where was that? Was that the Borgata? Golden Nugget? Golden Nugget, yeah. yeah. We, we walk in, and we're the only people other than the band there. And we're like, and they're on break, and I'm like, yeah. wait, are they even playing? And they're like, yeah, we're on break. And he's like, hey, you guys want a shot? We're like, yeah, hey, you guys, we found the right place. <laughs> But that was a lot of fun. I mean, that, that Tyler talked us into that. Those guys just played throwbacks from the 90s, early 1000s. I had so much fun. By the end of the night, our whole group's like on the dance floor with like <laughs> families and other people. I mean, what an amazing Just imagine what it's like when they're not just the duo and they're the full like six-person band. Oh, I bet it's a banger. Well, you haven't seen the duo, to be fair. I haven't. I haven't, but I know that the full band is a blast. I've seen them a couple times. Like They've done the In the Streets in Frederick, yeah. like that big thing, and it's just... Oh, it's it is one of the biggest parties yeah. that like you can see in like live music in like one of those bar settings. It's unrivaled in my opinion. I would say if you're 25 to 45, if you see don't, 3 a.m. Don't Tokyo, take my parents out of this. They would 25 love to there. 65. If you see 3 a.m. Tokyo, take my parents out of this. 3 a.m. <laughs> 25 to 75. If you're alive, <laughs> go watch 3 a.m. Tokyo. We had so much fun watching those guys, and I would go back in a heartbeat. Yeah, that, that is the that is the biggest reason I would go back to Atlantic City because let's say let's face it, five days in Atlantic City was a bit rough. Yes, uh, I would go back strictly to see them. Maybe on just like a long weekend, you know, right? Maybe well, we'll I go think this they weekend. Play other places. Yeah, that, it's it's all also like in the a thirty mile radius of Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah, they did a lot of Delaware. I saw, especially leading into that. So Tully, what's your what's your rankings? Yeah, we got, so mean, we got updated rankings. Line by line, but who were the biggest movers in your eyes of the uh, 16 guys who made it? The biggest disappointment for sure was Colin. I mean, I, I don't mean mm. to insult you. Somebody tell him. Well, <laughs> I shot an, I did shoot an 80 on Saturday. <laughs> After you shot like a 99. on Friday. Uh, you played very poorly and were I didn't very keep my score on Friday. There's, there's nothing or like Thursday. showing up like. Way after everybody's been drinking, played around of golf. I was the last one to get there. I got there at what, like ten o'clock, nine o'clock. Every single person separately was like, "Dude, you got to go ask Colin how he played today." <laughs> like at least six or seven people told me, and I'm like, "I'd love to talk to him, but he's you know in a different world right now, so you know maybe I have to wait." It's like when Bones beats Tyler at ping pong. <laughs> Seth beat Colin at golf that day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, love Colin to death, obviously, but you know he was he got very grumpy on the at first round. It really killed my killed my vibes there for a second. Then I didn't it, even play with you. Yeah, I know, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm talking about we got back to the house the three hours later. Oh, trust me, I wasn't. That's why the bagpipes were playing. Night. Yeah, Colin, um, Colin played pretty good at Seaview. It was me, him, Mickey, and Seth. Not, that was probably the. That's the most fun I had of any of the rounds. I mean, we were vibing. Thanks, Ben. Well, it's just because when Mickey crashed the car, well, it was like the taste, cherry on top. So that probably helps, too. <laughs> oh, God. We didn't even talk <laughs> about the tasers. Uh, uh, the biggest jump for me was Dudge because I just had no, no idea. Yeah. We had already kind of alluded to it. Like, he had a very solid golf game. I mean, we had him at like 15, 14, kind of because we had no idea. We just assumed he was Where'd as he move bad to? as it. Uh, we had him at eight. Oh, crap! Wow. The top yeah. ten. Well, I think he could well even earned. go higher. I think he, he could he, even go higher. He could. He could. He could pass Chuck for sure. I think he's got a high I, ceiling. I only played with him once, and I I was impressed. I, I was would, impressed. The only times I think I saw Dudge hit like a bad shot was like on the tee if he was actually aiming right and he didn't know he was aiming right <laughs> and he played his little baby fade. Other than that, I'm telling you, the guy is really solid. His iron game, and I'll give Chaz props too. Chaz's iron game and Seth too. Those guys. 
they all had good iron games, and that 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 bode well for them this trip. Seth, another mummer was another big faller. Based on Colin hyped him up a little bit more, like he was, oh, he's a low eighties golfer. I didn't see him scratch. Seth, never said low eighties. Yes, you did. I will find. I said high eighties, low nineties. Yeah, I don't believe well, that. Well, my my favorite story about Dudge was uh, the first day. I've never played with him. Didn't know anything about his game, and I'm riding with Ken. So Ken and I are going to play Tippy and Dudge, and I'm like Ken, like how good's Dutch, like how many strokes should we be given? He's like, him and I are about a wash. Like we're about the same. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, granted, Ken and I both played bad, which is why we got waxed. But uh, <laughs> yeah, D- Dutch is like piping by the back now. He's piping every single drive, like 300 right down the middle. I'm like, okay, yeah. That's- Dutch also like swings his driver with some control. I watched him let one loose. I think he hit like 320. I mean, he's yeah. a big dude, but when he let it loose, man, he can hit, he can really pump it. One of my favorite things was going to the course. Thursday, we got there, whatever, we get to the house and Uber over. It's like me, Dudge, Chuck, and maybe Tyler. And Dudge and I have a conversation like, oh, like all of a sudden, like, oh, he actually like, is friends with my sister, knows my sister pretty well, like doing that. And then day four, Zippy's now in the car. He goes, Tully, did you know Dudge knows your sister? And we have the exact same <laughs> conversation. And like five minutes in, it's like, Dudge is like, wait, didn't we already do this like three days ago? <laughs> I think all in all, a great trip to AC. I don't know when we'll be back or if we'll be back, but maybe a long weekend, like we said. It's not a place you spend a lot of time, especially not at night. (laughs) But a wonderful trip. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at BigPlayersOnlyPod. we got content coming this weekend. Uh, What is it? Ben and Tully versus Colin and Josh matchup. people wanted. At Clustered. We'll post something soon to talk about if there's any strokes that need to be given, but make sure you tune in and check out our Facebook, the Big Players Only Podcast Facebook page. We'll see you next week.